Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Real estate is rebounding while inflation is veining. Is risk back on? That's the question of today's edition of Steno Signals. My name is Andreas Steno. It's great to be back on air after a few weeks off air with Steno Signals. And uh, we have plenty of stuff to discuss today, not least in relation to the housing data that we've received from the U.S. over the past week, paired with news on inflation. I actually think those two themes tie very well together. So let's have a look at the details uh, of the housing market right now and why we also see positive spillovers to commercial real estate. This week, we received news from the uh, print on housing starts in the US. Uh, And as far as I remember, this is one of the biggest positive surprises in a long while for housing starts in the US. Uh, It printed way above consensus, meaning that the new starts of homes, home building is, is, is basically rebounding to an extent not expected by economists nor any other pundits out there. And this is, of course, a relevance of relevance in an economy that has been slowing um, since housing is a great part of the U.S. economy. And uh, when housing starts uh, rebound, it is typically a sign that the economy is not doing um, as poorly as expected. Uh, so, of course, the market also reacted to this uh, and the Federal Reserve is now expected to hike in, in, in July uh, based, uh, among other things, uh, on, on this um, print from, from housing starts. And it was a major surprise to many. And I think it is a symptom of, of a broader trend in real estate over the past, say, three, four months here. Uh, if we look at the supply in, in real estate, um, we now have a situation with veining supply again, meaning that it is easier for uh, demand to outpace supply than it was just a few months ago. And, and I think we're back uh, to a discussion on on what I call the golden handcuff syndrome. A lot of people are stuck with 30-year fixed mortgages at, say, 3% from the pandemic. Um, and now that mortgages are printing at rather 75 or they're about um, There are simply no reasons to move unless you're forced to, meaning that the um, supply in the housing market will stay extremely tight until the labor market um, deteriorates. And we're still uh, probably uh, at least a few months, maybe even a few quarters away from from that point. Uh, So the housing market supply will remain very tight, meaning that the demand even at interest rates of, say, seven to seven and a half in the mortgage space will... uh, continue to um, to sort of support a, a decent market functioning uh, and uh, a price action that is much better than uh, than feared. And if we look at pending home sales relative to um, the real estate price index, we also see how pending home sales is, is relatively low, meaning that the transaction volume is still low um, simply as a consequence of a, of a lack of supply. Uh, and I think it's very hard to change that situation unless the pass-through from interest rates from uh, from the Federal Reserve to the real estate market uh, becomes clearer. Um, And as of now, uh, at least when we look at residential real estate, it will take quite a long time before the actual pass-through from uh, monetary policy um, will uh, sort of make its way through uh, the um, residential real estate sector. But if we look at at, um, the real estate sector in in a broader setting, uh, including uh, commercial real estate, 
uh, I'd say that we still have uh, less clear trends, um, at least seen from a positive perspective, in, in the commercial real estate sector. Uh, the reason is that uh, the average duration of, of, um, of loans in, in uh, commercial real estate is, is much um, uh, uh, less um, mature than, uh, than what's the case in residential real estate. So simply the duration is, is shorter on average. Uh, and um, that also means that the spillover from monetary policy to commercial real estate is clearer. Uh, alongside that, we obviously have the work from remote trend still ongoing. Um, the latest data I've seen from San Francisco is, is outright abysmal. Um, 30 to 40% of the... Um, uh, volume of of calls made, for example, downtown in San Fran relative to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so it basically means that uh, the work from remote trend has remained intact even after the uh, reopening of the U.S. economy, and there are more or less uh, no signs of a true return to uh, pre-pandemic trends. And if we look at the um, price trends in uh, the commercial real estate uh, space, it is very visible that the office space uh, is, is the subsector hit the worst uh, as a consequence of this work from remote trend. And we know that a lot of refinancing of loans in commercial real estates um, will, will uh, happen over the next, say, 12 to 18 months, meaning that the pass-through from interest rates will be will be a lot clearer uh, in, in, in this particular part of the real estate sector, uh, making me a lot more worried about uh, commercial real estate than residential real estate at this juncture. But um, it's not all rosy. Um, if we look at delinquency rates um, in, um, in the US, they are on the rise. And um, this is typically something that we see I'd say in between six, nine, 12 months ahead of the recession, um, that delinquency rates start to rise as a consequence of interest rates on the rise uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so there is a pass through from uh, the fis fiscal and monetary policy setup currently, uh, but it just takes a, a, a while longer than usual in residential real estate since um, a, a lot of people locked in those 30-year uh, fixed mortgages during the uh, pandemic, making it um, a long journey uh, to, to sort of put the residential real estate under pressure uh, compared to, com uh, to commercial real estate. And if we look at the price trends in, um, in resi uh, real estate, we've actually seen a rebound in, in, in sharp contrast to what essentially everybody expected just a few months back. Um, both on the West Coast and on the East Coast, we've seen a, a, a steadying of the ship, so to speak. Uh, and especially on the West Coast, it is a game changer that we've seen a rebound in, in house price trends. Um, hopefully, uh, for the sake of the uh, commercial real estate owners, we will see spillovers to commercial real estate from this as well. Uh, so far, it is not as evident, but it is also uh, evident, uh, just not to the same extent, across hotels, uh, retail, etc. cetera. Uh, but residential real estate is rebounding, that is safe to say. And I mean, the mere fact that we went from, say, 7% uh, mortgage rates to 6% in the early parts of the year actually allowed some mortgage applications to resurface. And I think that's, um, uh, we basically see the repercussions of that already now, price-wise, uh, across the landscape. In terms of the commercial real estate sector, I, I mean, it, structurally speaking, over the next, say, one or two years, I remain very skeptical that this is a sector that will perform once all of the refinancing of loans uh, will feed through the system. So who are the backholders of the exposures in, um, in commercial real estate space? Um, if you look at the, the chart here, uh, the dark blue colored area at the bottom shows the uh, percentage of the exposure uh, towards commercial real estate loans held by, by banks uh, and 
smaller regional banks actually make up a large portion of that uh, of that banking uh, exposure. So this is something to watch still when it comes to the banking sector in the US and also exposures in particular in regionals. Um, I, I, I would be surprised uh, if this is already a, a story of the past, um, given the amount of refinancing that we have just ahead of us in the commercial real estate space. And uh, bear in mind that this is an issue for mainly regional banks, uh, not to the same extent, at least not from a relative perspective for, for larger banks. So why does this rebound, um, both in sentiment among home builders and the actual rebound in, in price action in, in real estate, um, carry spillovers to the inflation picture, or rather maybe vice versa, why is the inflation picture relevant for this discussion? Well, if we look at what I call the uh, circle of life, um, it's, it's a sort of a wheel of the overall inflation picture uh, in the economy that I've created, uh, I, I think that we see signs now of uh, a clear decline in prices of what I will call input costs for construction companies. Um, right about every commodity relevant to the real estate sector has dropped in price over the past nine to 12 months. Uh, we see an outright decline in commodities as a consequence of a decline in the amount of money in circulation, basically. And when we see a decline in the commodity space, it typically spills over to what I call input prices in the producer leg of the inflation equation. And once input prices start to decline, we should also expect output prices to decline. So the house of the price uh, of the uh, the price of the house when you get the keys uh, is simply lower than it was three six months ago. Uh, and that is of relevance also for the discussion on consumer price inflation. When input costs drop, we know that is a certainty already now. We see it month after month in the U.S. number, but also elsewhere around the globe, especially in Canada. Uh, we know that output costs ultimately drop. And then the company will have to either increase or decrease margins from there to ultimately get to the selling price, the so-called consumer price index. Uh, and given the very elevated margins that we saw through 22, um, my bet would not be that they will be able to at least increase margins in the current environment at this juncture in, in the global cycle. And if so, then this um, drop in commodity prices through input prices via output prices will ultimately spill over to consumer prices, if even if margins are kept roughly uh, unchanged. Just a quick moment to remind you, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now back to today's analysis. And therefore, given what we've seen producer prices this week, we've seen a sharp decline in May in, in, in Canada. We've seen a sharp decline in May in the UK. We've seen a sharp decline in producer prices in Germany in May. And we've also seen a decline in the US through May falling prices. Um, so it makes me optimistic on behalf of the inflation cycle, say three, four, five, six months down the road. Uh, but given the amount of action that we've seen from central banks this week, it is not something that they're willing to admit to yet. Um, that is also safe to say. So let's look at this inflation cycle in a, a sort of a real life example. Uh, I'd like to use the UK as the example, given that uh, the Bank of England hiked uh, by 50 basis points today. Um, stopping market expectations and uh, also partly shocking markets with a much more aggressive approach. Um, 
if we look at the circle of life, the green line shows the ongoing growth or decline in the amount of money available for the real economy in the UK. We now um, stare directly into the decline phase uh, of the overall money growth. Uh, typically, what happens after a while is that it spills over to commodities, then to producer prices, as you can see in the, on the input side, producer prices on the output side, and then ultimately the consumer price index. And it is actually ranked uh, from left to right, uh, given the sort of uh, line of events uh, in, um, in the life cycle of inflation. So I'm, I'm starting to convince myself that the signals that we get from the producer leg of the equation uh, are as firm as, as they get, basically, um, given the current uh, development in, um, in, in price pressures and commodities. And it's all driven by money, uh, essentially. And uh, that is also what I try to showcase in this wheel of inflation, that once there is a decline in the overall uh, amount of money and credit available to the economy, um, it typically means that uh, you should expect this to spill over. And, and on the next uh, chart here, I have a, sort of a table that aggregates money growth across various jurisdictions. Uh, and we have um, the money in, in outright uh, decline uh, in both China, um, the US, Europe, and uh, also the United Kingdom. So, I mean, it is a general trend across the um, the entire uh, global macro landscape that the growth in money is now declining on a month-on-month -month basis. And I think we should expect this to slowly but surely pass through this uh, life cycle of, of inflation and ultimately reach consumer prices. So now I'm, I'm asking a question that I will uh, probably get a lot of questions on uh, after asking it, um, because could this essentially lead to deflation in 2024? I wouldn't rule it out, at least, um, given that we see price declines um, in the producer leg of the price equation. If margins are kept intact, that could lead to price declines in the consumer part of the equation. And that is at least on paper, a, um, a deflation scenario um, defined, right? Uh, if we look at the development in M2, so the broad money base in, uh, in the US versus the CPI, there has historically been a lag of, say, in, in between one and a half and two years uh, between the decline in money and the subsequent decline in prices. So that means that 2024 is one to watch for when it comes to price action, um, since there is... Um, an outright uh, risk of, of falling prices. And you could, you could actually welcome such a, a, um, a scenario at, at this juncture. Uh, not if you have a lot of debt, but if, if, you, if you haven't, um, then falling prices would be uh, clearly a win-win scenario. And it's actually the same in Europe if we look at uh, the developments in, in M2 relative to the uh, consumer price index in Europe. There's this time lag of, say, in between uh, 18 and 24 months between the decline in the, um, in the money growth until we actually see a broad-based deceleration and decline in the, in the um, overall consumer price index. And, I mean, given this historical correlation, I'm tempted to say that we will be surprised on the low side on, on inflation next year. But it just takes a while before it makes it uh, through the uh, sort of uh, entire system uh, first. A decline in money, then a decline in commodity prices, then a decline in input prices, then a decline in output prices, and ultimately a decline in consumer prices. Uh, so we need to be patient. And that is also why central banks uh, have lost patience. Let's look at a few charts on why I find this pattern to be historically very stubborn. 
uh, if we look at commodities relative to producer prices, um, we have a very strong relationship between commodity prices dropping and uh, producer prices dropping ultimately. And that is the juncture we are at right now. Com commodity prices have been uh, falling over the course of the past two, three quarters, and they've now let producer prices into negative territory, as you can see from the chart here. Uh, this is US data, by the way. Um, is the PPIs or the producer price index then a good leading indicator for consumer prices? Well, let's take the Canadian case first. Um, if we look at Canadian producer prices relative to uh, Canadian consumer prices, we actually have a chart that looks as deflationary as it can, uh, I think, in Canada, uh, given that uh, we now have an outright decline, both on a monthly and a yearly basis in producer prices. And typically, it spills over all the way through the inflation equation to consumer prices with a time lag of, say, 5 to 6%. And um, the same is the case in the UK. They've used the most recent very um, poor uh, CPI report from the UK as an excuse to hike by 50 basis points today. I get why they do it, uh, and I probably also think it's the right move. But if they look a bit ahead and look at producer prices in the UK, they actually have a pretty decent leading indicator for uh, the consumer prices uh, in between five and six months down the road. And I think that's uh, at least of relevance to the discussion on fixed income and interest rate uh, markets right now that central banks, they kind of fear trusting this framework that I'm currently laying out. Um, basically, as, as, as they've been wrong and right about everything since 2020. So I think the appetite to try and forecast what's ahead uh, is, is extremely low at central banks right now. And that also means that they can hike interest rates, even though they're well aware that the um, disinflation or maybe even the deflation is very present in earlier stages of the inflation cycle than in consumer prices. And ultimately, what I wanted to show um, here uh, before we get to the questions is uh, a couple of charts on inf the inflation outlook relative to the most updated projections that we have from central banks, uh, because I find that to be the ultimate question to answer, both when it comes to the commercial real estate market, the real estate market overall, but also the uh, road ahead for fixed income. Will central banks be surprised on the low side of their inflation expectations or on the high side? And they've been surprised uh, basically on a running basis for maybe one and a half years now on the high side of their expectations. But if we look at producer prices, so an early leg in this inflation cycle relative to their consumer price index forecast, let's take the US as an example first, then we... I would actually say that we have a pretty decent risk reward and, and maybe even a relatively high probability of betting on central banks now being surprised on the low side of their expectations. So the pink vertical line is the 2023 year-end forecast for uh, the CPI in the US made by the Fed. Uh, and uh, as you can see from the PPI on the chart in, in the lighter blue, there's a pretty decent chance that we will get below that point in the consumer price index already before year-end. And that will allow the Federal Reserve to be positively surprised, uh, you might argue. If we look at the same equation in Europe, um, I think it looks even clearer. Um, the European Central Bank updated its inflation projections just last week, and uh, they now expect uh, European core inflation to print uh, on average at 5.1% through the year. Uh, and 
the dark blue uh, line here is the core PPI, so the producer price index without energy and uh, and food costs. And it looks relatively clear to me that we will have surprise on the low side. And we essentially, and now I sound a bit too cocked to what's fair, we essentially already know that if the typical patterns unfold through the cycle of inflation. This um, was a sh- sort of a short introduction to a broader framework I've made on uh, on inflation. Uh, it, I, I've labeled it the circle of life and inflation. And um, I actually think that if we track the developments in some of the earlier parts of this chain, we will be able to pinpoint where uh, the inflation developments further down the road is headed. Uh, and I finally think that there is a decent chance that central banks will be surprised on the low side, even though they've been... yeah. Uh, constantly surprised on the high side uh, of expectations when it comes to inflation over the past one and a half years here. I will um, conclude my my early remarks here with um, a big question mark, but also a very interesting chart in relation to this. Should we assume that the Federal Reserve has already paused the hiking cycle? Not only skipped the meeting, but paused the hiking cycle from here. It's debatable. Um, then I would argue that the lower inflation paired with current positioning, paired with the uh, possibility of at least a sentiment rebound in commercial real estate and real estate, should lead to risk on for, say, the next one or two months. Um, typically, what we observe in markets such as the S&P 500 100 days after the uh, pause in the hiking cycle is that the S&P 500 rallies. It typically drops again, but it rallies right on the back of that pause. So should this be a pause? I'm not overly convinced, but should it be a pause, then positioning is is very wrong-footed here, and we should expect risk assets to uh, perform over the coming one or two months. I'll I'll take a few questions now. We have a question coming in um, from from Will. Uh, he's asking uh, me, hi Andreas. The key difference of opinion between Raoul and Julian Brickton is that Raoul thinks the recession was already priced in, whereas Julian thinks it's yet to come and risk assets will fall in Q3, Q4. Where do you stand? As of now, I stand in Raoul's camp. Um, I think positioning is extremely negative. If housing rebounds, um, as we have early, very early evidence of. Uh, we should probably expect the recession talk uh, to be postponed, say, another quarter, maybe even two. Uh, and that is of relevance for the current positioning in equity space where most real money players, be it pension funds, asset managers, all the likes, remain underweight equities relative to benchmarks. Um, I also have sympathy for Julian's view. I just think that the ultimate recession is being postponed. Once again, due to this um, temporary tailwind to the real estate market from from falling commodity prices and um, a pickup in sentiment uh, due to falling inflation. We have a question on on crude oil in relation to this discussion on inflation and um, uh, the housing market. Uh, Sandy asking, what's the outlook for crude here? And I mean, we currently have a very clear talk of war ongoing between especially Saudi Arabia and speculators. Uh, if we look at managed money, uh, so essentially hedge funds and CTAs, and their current net uh, speculative position in, uh, in crude, um, it is a, as about, a, a, about as pessimistic as it can be. And typically, you want to fade such extremes. Uh, the reason why I'm hesitant to do so right now is that um, this is a clear, um, I say, empirical 
test of uh, classic game theoretical uh, theory. If you look at um, the speculators right now and their positioning, um, it is by, if you ask me clearly, designed to try and force OPEC Plus into non-compliance. They've sniffed out um, disagreements within the OPEC Plus group. Uh, and if they manage to bring down the price even further here, um, countries like the United Arab Emirates, um, some of the uh, uh, African countries, Nigeria, Angola, could be tempted to try and prop up um, production um, in, in, in non-compliance with the uh, supply deal that uh, was struck with OPEC+. Plus. So I think that is why speculators are as aggressive as they are right now. They're trying to force a reaction in the supply space. Uh, and currently, they have the upper hand, so I'm actually leaning in the opposite uh, direction. Uh, Question from David. Employment is still high in the US and in the EU too. How can there be any deflation with such a high employment number? Impossible. Inflation will shoot up again. And um, it's, of course, an extremely relevant point. Um, as long as wage inflation is, a, is, a, is a high as it is currently, we will not see the sticky components of the uh, consumer basket dropping in price. Um, and wages, they... To me, they form a part of what I call the margins um, in the life cycle of inflation. Uh, and interestingly, what typically happens is when inflation drops in headline terms due to commodities and food, uh, some of the traded stuff on, 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 on exchanges, right? We see a decline in headline inflation relative to wages that will remain higher, at least on a growth uh, basis. When real wages increase, so you get the largest spending power, it basically also means that the average selling price from a company declines relative to the, um, um, sorry, relative to uh, the um, margin, right? And that is of relevance for the margin outlook for companies or the profit outlook rather, uh, meaning that when we have an increase in real wages, we actually see a decline in profits and margins, typically. Um, that inverse relationship is extremely neat since 2019, but it works over, over longer timeframes as well. So when you actually increase um, the purchasing power of consumers, um, if they don't go out and spend that immediately, companies will have to lay off people as a consequence of squeezed margins. Uh, and I actually think that we're staring into that um, maybe, say, six, nine months down the road. Uh, wages will will remain sticky through the second half of the year, and then they will drop back materially into 2024, if you ask me. Uh, I, would leave, I will leave it there uh, for today. Thank you very much for the uh, questions. Um, the intention is uh, to be back every uh, single Thursday with Steno Signals here. And if you like what you've seen today, we have an exclusive offer for you today. Uh, we run our live portfolio at Steno Research, um, and we also put money behind our ideas. Uh, we've, ex uh, for example, expressed ourselves in a couple of real estate positions over the past few weeks. Uh, so an exclusive offer for you out there. You can get 40% off your purchase at stenoresearch.com. If you uh, visit realvision slash steno, uh, that will guide you directly to the subscription page. And this is an exclusive offer for the community here. I'd like to remind you that this is a window into my thinking, into my methodologies. I cannot guarantee you that you have the same risk appetite or the same risk horizon as me. But what I can guarantee you is that we will be back week in and week out with the latest from Global Macro and how to trade it. Thank you very much for watching. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. 
Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN.